Thank you, Jason. And thank you, Shocks, for sharing as well. It's been really fun hanging out with you guys these last few years. Uh, my name is Andrew Jones, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus. It's really great to be here with you this morning. And um, if it feels extra early, it's because it is early. Um, you lost an hour of your life that you'll never get back. So uh, if you know me at all, uh, you know how absolutely worthless I am when it comes to anything handy. Um, I think I've made that pretty clear up here a few times. I can't fix anything. Uh, I don't know how things work. Uh, it's one of those things that I hid from my wife until after we got married, so she didn't have she she couldn't reconsider uh, after she knew that about me. Uh, I know I know nothing about construction or mechanics or anything like that. Uh, when I hear something, and <laughs> here's the. The proof, when I hear something right wrong with my car, I just turn the radio up. I don't want to know what's going on. I don't want to <laughs> investigate that. I, I struggle to like hang pictures, like the, just the basic act of hanging a picture on a wall. Uh, I can't do Ikea stuff, the instructions. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm absolutely terrible. So with all that in mind, it should not surprise you that when it came to buying a home in the Kansas City area, uh, I also had no clue what to look for or what I was doing. Um, and it turns out that um, binge-watching HGTV is only so helpful <laughs> in teaching you about how to do that. So I was very, very thankful for my realtor. Uh, realtors are important. They can really save you. Um, because before we submitted paperwork on the house that we actually, currently, we actually ended up buying, before we submitted paperwork on it, uh, he noticed, hey, the, you know, the foundation looks like it's moved a little bit. And I, he said, we should probably check that out. And I kind of looked at it, and I kicked it, and I was like, it seems fine to me. Uh, and he said, no, we're going we're gonna to get a structural engineer, we're going to look at this foundation. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew that everything I loved about that house, and that Becca loved about that house, the great kitchen, the open concept, the big backyard, whatever it was, none of that mattered if the foundation was broken. If the foundation is broken, everything is broken, right? The house is total. And it's not enough to just look at the foundation. I had to actually inspect it. And well, I had to pay someone to inspect it. But the point is I couldn't... The, 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 the integrity of, the, of a home, of the foundation, is not always readily apparent just, a, for just observing. You have to inspect it. Because when the weather is nice and it's dry, just about any foundation will do. It looks great. It's fine. It's when the rain comes and the storm comes that it's, it, you better have made sure that you looked at that foundation. And everything I've just said is, was also true in Jesus' day when they built homes. Everyone understood, just like today, that to build a good home, you had to put it on the bedrock. Uh, building anywhere else was just inviting disaster. Something bad was going to happen. Your house was a ticking time bomb. So why point all of that out? Well, at the end of his sermon that we just heard read, his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that just like these homes, the human soul, the human life, functions very much the same way. Everyone is building their life on something. Everyone has a foundation. Every life has a foundation. And Jesus knows, and we know when we really think about it, how easy it is to live a life without ever looking or thinking about your foundation. How easy that is. Sometimes we even actually ignore it. We don't want to look at it. How, how rare it is for a human being in, in, at any given moment to stop and really ask themselves, what is my life built on right now? 
What am I doing with my life right now? We get so distracted by the, the, the minutiae. Get good grades, I gotta make friends, my next career move, what am I gonna do? We almost never ask ourselves, what, what is my life for? What is this life that I'm building actually built on? Is there anything there at all? And that's why Jesus, after everything he has said in this Sermon on the Mount, and if you've been with us for this since the new year, you know he said a lot. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for many, many weeks. This is the last picture he leaves us with. After everything else he says, he ends with what's really at the bottom of his whole teaching. He says, look at your foundation. Build your life on the right foundation. Because if you don't, the results are disastrous. And they may come upon you before you know anything is wrong. So here's how Jesus puts it. I'm going to read the text one more time. If you haven't turned to Matthew yet, you can do that now. Matthew chapter 7, first book in the New Testament, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So what makes a good foundation to build your life on? One of the first principles Jesus gives uh, in this text is this. He says the right foundation must get below the surface. It's one of the first things you notice must get below the surface. And, and you see this really in the contrast that Jesus makes between these two houses. As, we know, as far as we know from the text, these two houses, the difference is not in what can be seen. As far as we know, the roofs are the same, the layout's the same, these two houses. The appliances are the same, the paint is the same. The difference between the two homes is not what can be seen, it's by what cannot be seen. The hidden part, the secret part the below-the-surface part of the home. And, and, and this should come as no surprise to you if you've been paying attention at all to Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount. This, this theme has been everywhere. He has emphasized over and over again the primacy, the importance of inside-out living. That our real problem, that what Jesus has identified, is our real problem as human beings is on the inside. It's the heart. It's, it's the motivations. It's the fears, the anxieties. And, and those manifest themselves and these external symptoms. Read back through the whole sermon, you'll see that theme everywhere. Jesus says in chapter five, he says, you think that you don't have an anger problem because you don't murder your brother, but the hatred you harbor inside for that person, that's where murder comes from. That's what Jesus says. He says, you think you, you don't have an adultery problem because you don't sleep with anyone but your spouse. He says, if you, if you cultivate sexual desire for anyone other than your spouse, You've committed adultery. That's where adultery comes from. And in chapter 6, he says, even your good deeds that you think make you good, they don't. Your motivation, even for the good things you do, your generosity, your religiosity, your piety, your authenticity, your conviction, your activism, whatever it is, is probably from a selfish motive. Your motivation is not to do good, it's to look good. And your Father who is in heaven, is the way Jesus puts it, he knows the difference Jesus, you'll notice, is one of the only moral teachers I can think of that not only has his followers repent of the bad things they do, but the good things they do for the wrong reason. Why does he do that? Because the foundation is what matters. The foundation. 
The problem isn't out here. The human problem is not out here. It's in here. Your lust, your anger, your selfishness, these are all themes in the Sermon on the Mount. Your judgmentalism, your materialism, your worry, your broken prayer life, all of it, any of it, they're they're just cracks in the ceiling. That's all they are. The foundation is off. So beware of practicing surface-level living. Beware of surface-level living. If Jesus is right, then the surface of our lives, the public part of our lives, is simply symptomatic of our foundation, of our hearts. But so much of our lives, so much of our energy and our time and our attention and our focus is devoted to the cosmetics of our lives. The right job, the right neighborhood, the right school, the right salary, the right friends, the right clothes. I, did, I made myself do this this week. I just said, you know, think about your day. Think about your typical day. And how much of your energy and your thoughts and your worries and your victories are really just around cosmetic features in your life? Just around how people perceive you. What is that, like 80%? Right? Is that too generous? Is it 90%? See, Jesus makes this point even stronger, the same point elsewhere in the sermon. He says, your righteousness, your holiness, your life, the very quality of your life, must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says that in chapter 5, verse 20. Why does he say that? Well, you've got to know the context he's speaking to at the time. Jesus is pointing his audience, first century Jews, to the best house on the block. The scribes and the Pharisees were the most esteemed leaders, they're the most successful people, right? They're the models, they're the pastors of these people. The externals were impeccable, the surface was flawless. They were good people by any measure, good citizens. But Jesus says none of that matters because their foundation is off, their motivation is off. Don't be like them. That's what Jesus, that's what he teaches about them. Don't miss this in Jesus' whole sermon. If you grew up in church or you've been in church for a while, it's so easy to become familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. You, You miss the real contrast that Jesus is making in this whole sermon. See, there's two homes, there's, there's these binaries, there's these two options all throughout the sermon. This is one of the most important points Jesus will ever make about the Christian life, is this contrast. There is a reason the crowds leave astonished and dumbfounded by Jesus' teaching. So read it again. The contrast in the Sermon on the Mount is not between religious people and irreligious people. It's not between people who read the Bible and people who don't. It's not between people who go to church and people who don't. It is primarily between good people and Jesus' followers. That's the contrast. It's the foundation. It's the heart. That's the difference. So beware of looking the part. Beware of being a good person with a bad foundation. There may be nothing more dangerous to our lives than telling ourselves, but I'm a good person. That may be one of the most dangerous things you can ever say to yourself. I don't need that because I'm a good person. But I'm, be- I'm better than you because I'm a good person. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's incredible. Building your life, when you do that, building your life on your good deeds is just as foolish as building your life on your bad ones. You, can, you cannot build your life on being a good person. That's cosmetic. That's the surface. And if the foundation is off, When the storm comes, it'll expose you. 
it will fall apart. This is Jesus' second principle on the right foundation. The right foundation has got to be built to last. Now, in the ancient Near East, uh, during the warm season, the, the, the topsoil, the, the ground, uh, the sand would become very hard. And it was feasible to build a home just right there on, on the ground, right on top. It was uh, less expensive to do that than to dig down to the bedrock and, and build your home there. Your home would be, would be fine for a, a little while. But what ultimately reveals our foundation, right, according to Jesus, it's the rain, it's the, it's the winds, it's the floods, it's the storms. You see, the right foundation, says Jesus, will stand during the storm. Hardship, pain, loss, adversity, disappointment, and the wrong foundation will be swept away. And I want us to notice something together here for just a minute. There, there's a very important difference between Jesus' teaching here on what the good life is and what we, many of us in, in the West, when we think of what the good life is. In much of our culture today, whether we say it out loud or not, whether we admit it to ourselves or not, the good life is described as hardship-free. It's worry-free. It's loss-free. It's pain-free. It's storm-free. That's the good life. No problems. And so much of what we functionally build our lives on, even if we wouldn't admit it to ourselves, they are products, ideas, people, philosophies that promise storm avoidance to you. If you just have this, you won't have this problem. If you just believe this, you won't have, your life will be easy. Right? Much of our pursuit of pleasure is built on the promise of storm avoidance. Sex and alcohol and partying and pornography and other addictive behavior, they're, they're just promising escape from the storms of real life. That's why we do them. And the good life for many of us today, whether we think about it or not, it's built on a pursuit of happiness. The good life is the happy life. I just want to be happy. I just want to be content. And so we grab after things that we think will, will, will give us that. And the problem is that none of those things if Jesus is right, can actually withstand any storm at all. All the money and the insurance and the pleasure in the world could not stop the storms in your life. And the thing is, when you really think about it, you know it's true. And I know it's true, but we don't want to think about it. That's why when people today, when they lose their happiness, they lose their hope. Because if you built your life on happiness... If, that's the, if, that, if a successful life is a happy life and a storm hits your life, like su a storm of suffering or moral failure or whatever it is, deep disappointment, when it sweeps over your life, what do you have to live for? So admit where you've been building, okay? Take a moment, and if you have something to write on, write it down. Admit where you've been building your life. My hunch is things have been coming to mind as you've been listening. Try to boil it down to one word. Really, really make it succinct. Is it reputation? Is it how people think of you? People pleasing? Is it success at your job, your work? I've got to be successful there. Any failure there destroys my life. Is it beauty? Is it being attractive? I need to look the best, be the best. Maybe it's your family, your family itself. How people perceive them. What choices they make. Your whole life rides on that. It's your, it's your marriage. Maybe it's money. It's security. Admit where you've been building. Maybe more than one thing. 
take a minute and write that down. And then what I want you to do is this. With that in mind, I want you to take the next step. I want you to think about what storm could take this away from me. Whatever it is. What storm could take this from me? Is it getting older? Is it being sick? Losing a job? Marital infidelity? A wayward child that that destroys your vision of what your family was supposed to be and as it reflects on you? Loss of a job? Stock market dip? Okay, what is it? What storm could take that away from you? Here's why it's important to do that, because we need to see together, and we need to do this often, that our lives are one storm away from losing the thing we are building on at any moment. One storm away. Don't build on the sand. This is Jesus' point. Don't build there. The sand doesn't have to be a sin. It doesn't have to be licentious. It can be a good thing, like family, that we've made an ultimate thing, and you can lose it in an instant. Jesus promises you'll notice something very different from that. I was recently at a a conference for Elam, which is our ministry partner in Iran, where a woman shared her story. She was arrested uh, for sharing uh, the gospel in, in Iran, which is illegal. And she spent 187 days in prison for that, uh, in a cell, uh, most of it in solitary confinement, not all of it, but most of it, uh, in a cell that she couldn't even really lay down in. I mean, it was just incredibly difficult, like I can't even imagine. It was very damaging, right, to her physically and emotionally, but, but because of her, the testimony of her life and her trust in Jesus, she led several fellow prisoners to the Lord when she was out of solitary, and even a prison guard came to the Lord because of her life in prison. And this part blew me away when she, they were videotaping her to kind of show during this conference. And she said, you know, it was, it was strange because part of me, a small part of me, uh, was sad when I got the news I was being released from prison because I, my work was not yet finished there. It blew me away. I know families who have lost children and have embraced and forgiven the people responsible. I know marriages that not only could have failed, but should have failed and didn't. I know terminally ill people, people who are dying, who have more peace, are are more content, are more loving, are more giving than the the professional athletes in their prime. I know people with very little money, very little resources, but they're generous with everything they have. There are people in this church and all over the world who follow Jesus And they are facing storms I cannot even imagine. And they are thriving. And listen, these people are not stronger than you are. They're not smarter than you are. They're not braver than you are. Their lives are built out of the same stuff that your life is built out of. What's the difference? What's the difference? Their lives are built on the rock. So what is Jesus offering us? It's not a foundation that can avoid storms. It's not what he's offering you. He's offering you a foundation that can withstand them, any storm. So how do we get that foundation? What what is the key to that life? That's the thing, uh, the last thing Jesus says here. It's our last principle. Jesus says the right foundation, the foundation you've been looking for your whole life, 
in everything else is me. He points to himself. He says, I am the foundation. Now, we're ending on this point because it is the key to the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's the key to the whole sermon I've been saying up to this point. And most importantly, it, it is the most controversial thing that Jesus will ever say in his entire ministry. This is it. The crowds leave astonished at his authority, which I think means they leave because they're like, Jesus is defining the good life. He's defining the holy life, the God life, around himself exclusively. It's all about him. You see it here in the text. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them. In the passage just before this one, we couldn't get to it today, in verse 21 of chapter 7, Jesus is, a, is, on, is talking about the end of human history. He's talking about judgment day. He's talking about the judgment of every human life. And he says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Everything is centered on Jesus. Everything. Jesus is saying, your entire life, whether you know it or not, is about me. So just think about it this way. Jesus, Jesus takes all of life at the end of the sermon and he breaks it down. He says, life, your life, anyone's life is like one of two houses. Expand that out, not just human life. For all the philosophies and religions and political systems and traditions, past, present, and future, all the options you have for living all the possible ways of life for humanity for all of time. Every human life, every human accomplishment, every act, every thought, every idea, anything and everything that has happened or will ever happen in this world is built on one of two foundations. You know what they are? Jesus and not Jesus. That's it. And only one of those foundations will stand. So do not miss the audacity of that claim that he's making. If you leave this morning and you've, you've heard from Jesus and you don't leave astonished like these other people do, then we're not paying attention. You cannot hear the Sermon on the Mount after all these weeks and believe that Jesus claims simply to be a wise, moral teacher. Here he is claiming to be the grounds of your very existence, the very meaning of your life, the only foundation that will last whether you accept him or not. Jesus is saying the absolute worst thing in this life that can happen to you, to any of us, is to miss out on him. If you miss out on him, if we miss out on him, if we ignore him, if we disobey him, if we trust anything other than him, if we build our lives on any foundation other than him, nothing else matters. We've already lost. If the foundation is off, it is only a matter of time before the whole house, the whole house, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how successful it is, no matter how polished it is, manicured it is, it will crumble. If we miss out on him in this life, we have missed everything. That's how Jesus ends his sermon. So what does Jesus tell us to do with that information? It's very simple. He says, trust me, and obey me. Build your life on that. Trust me and obey me. It's very clear. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says, you've got to choose me as your foundation and then actually do what I've told you to do. 
obey me. Begin to practice, however imperfectly, and it will be imperfect, the good life that I've laid out before you, and I will help you. Come to me, he says. Take my yoke upon you. He'll say that later. Learn from me. I'll teach you how to live this life. That's what Jesus says. That's what he offers. Now, for those of you who are not Christians in the room, or you're maybe new to the faith, uh, this point is probably pretty intuitive for you. Of course, to, to trust Jesus is to obey him. Why would we separate those things? And if you if you've never trusted Jesus, but you're here and you're, you're considering it, I'm so thankful that you're here. And I'm going to stay up here after the sermon. I would love to talk to you more and, and pray for you at a minimum uh, as, you, as you consider that. But for those of us now who, who are in the church, you've been here, and I, I include myself here, uh, something happens the longer we're in the faith. I've, at least it, it has for me, as I begin to pull apart the trusting Jesus part, from the obeying him. It becomes easier and easier to do. And I love the way Francis Chan illustrates this point. He was a pastor out in California. He's not anymore, but he, he illustrates it this way. Uh, he says, imagine, and, and I think he's right, a lot of our obedience looks this way. He says, imagine uh, my daughter comes up to me and I tell her, you need to go clean your room. And an hour later, she comes back and she says, hey, dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. And I know it in Greek now. I actually memorized it in Greek. You said, go clean your room. And later, I'm going to invite my friends over and we're going to do a study and talk about what it might look like if I actually started cleaning my room like you told me to do. Right now, okay, memorizing scripture and, 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 and being in community, those are good things. But without actually obeying Jesus, that's not the foundation he's offering you. Jesus is not saying, for example, build your life on a one-time prayer of salvation and never think about me again. Jesus is not saying, build your life on the faith of your parents and never think about me again. He is saying, you, you, individually, you, no matter how old you are, whether you've been to church or not, whether you read the Bible, you choose me. Obey me. Follow me. These, this is the indestructible life. That's what he wants to give you. And there's this powerful moment, and I, and I promise you that it's there. There's this moment when you begin to practice this life that Jesus gives you here. You begin to repent for the deep sin in your heart, You begin to see how broken your motivations are for so much of life, and you ask him to help you. You begin to repent even of the good things in your life, the things you think you do right, but you're doing them for all the wrong reasons. And you ask him to help you live that out and to live for his opinion alone. There's this moment in that life of a Jesus follower when you realize you are obeying not simply because you think you have to, but you begin to want to because it's the life you wanted. You just didn't know it. Pastor Tom once told me that obedience is Jesus' love language. Uh, If you've read that book, The Five Love Languages, you know the premise is that we're all wired to receive affirmation in different different ways. It's gift-giving, words of affirmation, it's acts of service, boxes of chocolate, um, whatever it is. That one's not real, by the way. Jesus' love language is obedience obedience. 
You read the Gospels, you see when is Jesus blown away? It's when someone trusts him and takes him seriously. It's like, whoa, obedience is his love language. He's delighted by that when we trust him and when we begin to practice what he says. But our obedience is not just for him. Obedience is for us. It's the good life that we've always wanted. And it's available to you now. Everything Jesus promises, it's available now. And and I wanted to end our time to show you what it's like, a life that chooses Jesus as their foundation. It can't be described. It has to be seen. We recently had a baptism service with all of our campuses and filled with people who want to make Jesus their foundation. And and Kristen, who who attends our Aletha campus, uh, she shares a little bit of her story at at the beginning of this short video, and I want you to listen to her story. Let's watch this together. To tell you my story without all the gritty details, just imagine my life as a house. I've had my house destroyed in the past many times. Each time there were warnings, I ignored them. I thought I could control the situation myself. And once my house was destroyed, I would rebuild. I'd use my existing foundation because I had built it and believed it was strong. I'd use the same old pieces of wood and nails to build my home, always better than the last time and always a nice fresh coat of paint. But on November 3rd, I came home to a hole. My house was just gone. No warnings, no foundation to rebuild on. I wanted to climb to that hole and die. But Jesus sent my family to tell me I was strong. And I was called to church that following Sunday. I didn't know what I expected, but I got something I never imagined. Her heart for helping others and loving on others, it's just unending. And it just, I see Christ in her all the time. I'd really like to just say we, um, your mom and I are very proud of you. We've got to see her. Grow up. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that and do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Why would you like to be baptized today? To show people that I put my faith in Jesus. Well, because of the way Christ is at work in your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ben, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is God's Son. Um, He dedicated his life uh, to a perfect life so that I may defeat death. And why do you want to be baptized today? I want to be baptized as a dedication to, to Christ and that I can follow in his footsteps. Um, and Izzy, can you tell us why you want to be baptized? Um, because I want to be with God more. Thanks so much. Well, on the base of that profession of faith, I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Praise the new life. I'm tired of 
living selfishly and I'm ready to devote my life to Christ. Awesome. Well, Casey, on the basis of your profession of faith in Jesus, um, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried by Christ's death. I just feel like I've kind of lived with one foot in and one foot out, and I'm just ready to fully commit to what God has for us and to fully commit to raising our kiddos in His ways. So. Awesome. Okay, we'll stand first. Okay, okay ready? Raise new life. It's the next step in our faith journey, and we love Jesus and we'd like to live like He would like us to. Awesome. because I love Jesus and I want to take this next step in faith and commitment to Steph's story is an amazing one of coming to faith in Jesus. And so we're um, on the basis of your profession of faith as we've talked, I want to baptize you in it. So um, we baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Praise to new life. We baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit buried in the likeness of Christ's death.